Right, please open with me in God's Word to Revelation chapter 21. Revelation 21, as we continue this sermon series through the book of Revelation, and we'll finish this chapter this morning by considering verses 9 through 27. So, Revelation chapter 21, verses 9 and 27. And while you're turning there, it would be helpful to. For Saul to to wonder this morning, what what would you say is your dream home? I mean, think about it for a moment. If if money was no object, and you could live wherever you wanted, what would your dream house look like? Of course, this is a, a common question for people in our country to think about. We have entire TV shows devoted to helping people find their dream home or to remodel their home to become more like a dream home. Uh, We have magazines which show you the layouts of beautiful homes with uh, just amazing furnishings inside. And of course, we can all go to uh, home design and remodeling expos and shows which have the the latest things for you to build and to furnish your dream home. You know, my my own dream home has always been to uh, live in a log cabin out in the woods by a clear lake. But whatever may come to your mind as you consider a dream house, and however likely you may be to ever live in your dream house, God's Word reveals an infinitely better home for us that all believers in Christ will live in eternally. And that's what's given to us here in Revelation 21. So let's begin reading together then in verse 9. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls filled with the seven last plagues came to me and talked with me saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the Lamb's wife. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me the great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. Her light was like a most precious stone, like a jasper stone, clear as crystal, Also she had a great and high wall with twelve gates and twelve angels at the gates and names written on them, which are the names of the twelve tribes of the children of Israel. Three gates on the east, three gates on the north, three gates on the south, and three gates on the west. Now the wall of the city had twelve foundations, and on them were the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. And he who talked with me had a gold reed to measure the city, its gates and its wall. The city is laid out as a square. Its length is as great as its breadth. And he measured the city with the reed, 12,000 furlongs. Its length, breadth, and height are equal. Then he measured its wall, 144 cubits, according to the measure of a man, that is, of an angel. The construction of its wall was of jasper, and the city was pure gold like clear glass. The foundations of the wall of the city were adorned with all kinds of precious stones, The first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the third chalcedony, the fourth emerald, the fifth sardonyx, the sixth sardius, the seventh chrysolite, the eighth beryl, 
the ninth, topaz, the tenth, chrysoprase, the eleventh, jacinth, and the twelfth, amethyst. The twelve gates were twelve pearls. Each individual gate was of one pearl, and the street of the city was pure gold, like transparent glass. But I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city had no need of the sun or of the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God illuminated it. The Lamb is its light, and the nations of those who are saved shall walk in its light. And the kings of the earth bring their glory and honor into it. Its gates shall not be shut at all by day. There shall be no night there. And they shall bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it. But there shall by no means enter in anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie, but only those who are written, or who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Brothers and sisters, let us return once more to God's throne in prayer. O oh, Father, pray that you remove from us any distractions so that we can devote ourselves fully to hearing from you as you speak this morning through the word as it is preached. So, Father, we pray that we will find through your word our eternal home in which we will live forever in your presence. And that we will understand then that it's with this eternal perspective we can and will endure in this world through this life. So, Father, may we see Christ as He is revealed here through this city. Father, may You use me then as Your preacher to bring Your Word to Your people and that Your Spirit will powerfully be at work to, re to renew our minds, to revive our hearts, so that we will be those living, waiting eagerly for our eternal home. So we pray for all these things in the name of our sweet Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Brothers and sisters, what God's Word reveals to us this morning is our eternal home dwelling with God. So let us cherish this eternal home where we will dwell with God. Let us cherish this eternal home dwelling with God. Because it's in these verses that we are given a preview of our eternal home through two pictures, which then motivate us to persevere in our faithfulness to God. The, the first picture is the beauty of Christ's bride, which is shown to us in verses 9 to 21. 
But then secondly, we have the, the greatness of God's glory, which is shown to us in verses 22 to 27. So the beauty of Christ's bride and then the greatness of God's glory. Let's begin with the beauty of Christ's bride and the Apostle John, I'm sure we all know by now, is recording these symbolic visions of prophecy from God for Christ's churches to be encouraged and to be equipped as we struggle and suffer in this present evil age. Because Revelation shows us that we will endure temptations and trials and troubles and tribulation in this world. We're also shown that God is on His throne in control of all that happens in history. Because it is the unfolding of His plan of redemption that has been accomplished by Christ and that will be completed at Christ's return. Where God's justice will fully and finally come when our enemies are cast into the lake of fire and those who oppose us will be judged under God's wrath. And once God's judgment is complete, we look forward to this world to come when God will reunite heaven and earth for us to enjoy eternal life in His presence and to experience His blessings in Christ. So as this chapter begins, John sees our entrance into God's presence as the holy city. New Jerusalem comes down out of heaven from God to earth. And this city symbolizes both a people and a place. Because the city represents God's chosen people who have been redeemed by Christ's grace and who have persevered through the persecution of this age. The city also represents the place where we will dwell with God as our eternal home. And so it's in the remainder of this chapter then that the vision zooms in for us to take a closer look at this city. And so John hears then the voice from an angel and an invitation through the angel saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the Lamb's wife. Of course, the Lamb is Christ Himself who offered himself in love as a sacrificial offering to God in the place of his church, which has become his bride. And so after he returns, we know that our marriage will finally take place with Christ when we will be his wife forevermore. And we will enjoy then the marriage supper of the Lamb where we will commune with our Savior. And so once this angel invites John to see the Lamb's wife, he carries him away in the Spirit to see a holy city. Now, isn't that interesting? You move from seeing a a woman, a bride, to seeing a city. And to understand this, this brings us back to the visions of the prophet Ezekiel visions that he received from God at the end of the book of Ezekiel. So let's remind ourselves briefly of how Ezekiel's prophecies are structured. 
Because after the nation of Israel is resurrected and restored to the land in chapters 36 and 37, there's King Gog and the people of Magog who then come from the north to wage war against God's people in chapters 38 and 39. And once the nations unite together with them and attack Israel in a final battle, they come under God's wrath and he destroys them. And it's with their destruction then that Israel is welcomed into God's presence, which is revealed through a new city and a new temple in Ezekiel chapters 40 to 48. And it's this very structure that continues here and is fulfilled here in Revelation. So listen to how Ezekiel receives this final vision in Ezekiel chapter 40, as, as he receives these, these visions of the city and temple to come. Verses 1 to 5, where Ezekiel 2 is carried away to a high mountain to see a coming city and temple. Again, let's listen to these verses. In the 25th year of our captivity, at the beginning of the year, on the 10th day of the month, the 14th year after the city was captured, on the very same day, the hand of the Lord was upon me, and he took me there. In the visions of God, he took me into the land of Israel and set me on a very high mountain. On it toward the south was something like the structure of a city. He took me there, and behold, there was a man whose appearance was like the appearance of bronze. He had a line of flax and a measuring rod in his hand, and he stood in the gateway. And the man said to me, Son of man, look with your eyes and hear with your ears and fix your mind on everything I show you. For you were brought here so that I might show them to you. Declare to the house of Israel everything you see. Now there was a wall all around the outside of the temple. In the man's hand was a measuring rod six cubits long, each being a cubit and a hand breadth. And he measured the width of the wall structure one rod and the height one rod. And now in Revelation, we see John who has visions of the fulfillment of what Ezekiel had seen. There is the coming of this city, which is again identified in Revelation 21 as the new Jerusalem, the holy Jerusalem, as was said back in verse 2. And it's descending out of heaven from God, which reminds us that our eternal home is not the result of our works or of anything that we have done to build this city for ourselves. But it comes from God as a free gift to us. That's why John sees the city then descending from heaven, having the glory of God. Now, back in Revelation chapter 15, verse 8, the heavenly temple was filled with the smoke of the glory of God and his, from his power. Do you remember what happened when the, the heavenly temple was filled with the glory of God? No one was able to enter the temple until the seven plagues of the seven angels were completed. But now that these plagues are completed, one of the angels 
who'd poured out the plagues now comes to show John this heavenly temple that's filled with the glory of God has now come down out of heaven to a restored earth where we will enter into God's presence as his glorified people and live with God in all of his glory. That's why God's glory here radiates light throughout the city. Because it shines in all of its beauty like a precious stone of jasper as clear as crystal. Now, now this was a stone that was used to describe the appearance of God on his heavenly throne back in chapter 4, showing the glory of God in all of its majesty and magnificence as he rules over this world and is now found lighting the place where his people dwell. And then we continue to read about this city as its appearance is described. And all of the features that are listed here symbolize truths about our eternal home in God's presence. And they're filled with Old Testament allusions and fulfillments, which means that we have no hope this morning of looking into all the symbolism or its Old Testament background. It would be a wonderfully fruitful study for you to continue on your own. But let's at least briefly consider a few important elements of the city. Because in the city, we read that there were 12 gates or 12 pearls, and each individual gate being one pearl, having the names of the 12 tribes of the children of Israel. Again, this draws on the vision of the temple that the prophet Ezekiel saw at the end of his vision. Chapter 48, verses 30 to 35, where this temple has 12 gates with three on each side that provides access then to the presence of God from every direction. But these gates are made out of pearl, which was the most expensive and precious jewel in the ancient world. Which is why Jesus himself, in a parable, spoke of the pearl of great price, where a man finds a pearl, a single pearl, and he goes and he sells all that he has in order to have it. So these gates are made out of pearl, which is, which is this most precious jewel, which then shows us the great value of this city for those who enter through its gates to live in God's presence with the names of the 12 tribes of Israel on them. But not only do you have the, 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 the 12 gates, but there's also the 12 foundations of the city that are adorned as 12 precious stones, and on them are the names of 12 apostles of the Lamb. And this takes us back to Isaiah 54, verses 11 to 12, where the prophet Isaiah speaks of Jerusalem being rebuilt with precious stones which John now sees being fulfilled in the New Jerusalem. And on these foundation stones are the names of twelve apostles, because it's through the gospel entrusted to them by Christ that we are saved and will reside in this city. Which is why the Apostle Paul then writes in Ephesians 2 that Christ's church is now growing into a holy temple in the Lord, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. 
And now, this dwelling place of God will become our eternal home and our permanent home. So taken together, George Eldon Ladd provides us with some insight when he writes that by this symbolism of the 12 gates bearing the names of the 12 tribes of Israel and the 12 foundations bearing the names of the 12 apostles, John indicates that the city encompasses both dispensations and that both the Israel of the Old Testament and of the church in the New Testament have their place in God's final establishment. God has chosen a people throughout history to save so that we will be reconciled with him and dwell with him forever. Then the angel takes a golden reed, which was like the reed that was given to John to measure the temple in chapter 11. But this golden reed is, is, is given for him to measure or, 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 or is used to measure the city of pure gold with its streets of gold. And it too is laid like a square, like Ezekiel's temple that he saw in his visions. But listen, this city is much greater because this city's measurements or a perfect cube. With its length, its breadth, and its height equal. But what's important to know here is that the city's measurements match the shape of the temple's Holy of Holies. Here, how the Holy of Holies was described in the original temple back in 1 Kings 6.20. The inner sanctuary was 20 cubits long, 20 cubits wide, and 20 cubits high. He overlaid it with pure gold and overlaid the altar of cedar. And when we think of the temple, let's not forget what one commentator reminds us, that it was God's presence in the Holy of Holies that made the temple sacred. See, the the sacred space is where God's glory dwells in the temple. And now, His glory fills the entire city, which is a much larger cube than the earthly Holy of Holies. Do you see then how this entire city has become the place where God in all His glory is dwelling with His people? And this golden city is also clear as crystal to radiate the glory of God. So let's reflect on what this means for us for a moment. Because you may remember in in the temple how the Holy of Holies was separated from the rest of the temple because of God's glory that was present there. And only the high priest could enter the Holy of Holies once a year to represent God's people and offer a sacrifice of blood for their sins in worship. That's why with Christ as our high priest, we now enter into the heavenly Holy of Holies through Christ's blood when we worship as His church. But here we are shown that one day we will live eternally in the Holy of Holies. 
where we will never leave the presence of God in all of his glory. Oh, how hard this is for us even to fathom. And think about how large this city is. With each side of the city measuring 12,000 furlongs or stadia, which is absolutely enormous. This would equal about 1,500 miles on each side in all three directions. This would have been the length of the entire Roman Empire. It shows the size of the city will cover the known world. But remember, we must not read this literalistically, as if there will one day be a gigantic cube that drops down from the sky and lands on the earth. This is not a golden cube decorated with precious jewels for us to live in. And as a Trekkie, for, for my fellow Trek nerds, consider how large the new Jerusalem is to a board cube. The board cube, as, as large as it is, is three kilometers on each side. Which means that this city could fit almost 520 million board cubes inside. How immense the city is. It's so large that some scholars try to remove 1,000 from this measurement to reduce it down to 12 furlongs or stadia in order to make its size more realistic, despite there being no reason in the text to make this reduction. But what's my point through all of this? That these massive dimensions are not to be taken literally. But its immensity symbolizes the great multitude of those saved by Christ through this age that will dwell with God as his glorified saints that cover the whole world as our eternal home. And so as we consider this, this, this bride of Christ, the, the beauty of Christ's bride, we find through these visions that we're meant to compare this woman with another woman. With the, and, and to compare this city with another city. We're to compare the, the city of the New Jerusalem with the city of Babylon here in Revelation. Which is why in both chapters 17 and 21, we read of the seven angels who have the seven bowls who say to John, come and I will show you. Both times. Chapter 17 and 21. And this angel, by the way, is likely the seventh angel who poured out the seventh bowl in the last plague, which led to God declaring from his throne in chapter 16, it is done. Because what does God once again declare in this chapter 21, verse 6? It is done. And so this angel becomes a spiritual guide for John to see two cities. In chapter 17, he's carried in the spirit into the wilderness to see Babylon. 
Now in chapter 21, John's carried in the Spirit to a great and high mountain to see the new Jerusalem. So let's compare these two cities who are both portrayed as women together with their futures. That Babylon is seen as the great harlot or prostitute sitting on the beast who is the Antichrist, while the new Jerusalem is seen as the bride of Christ, the Lamb's wife. Well, the great harlot is wearing a gown arrayed in purple and scarlet, adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls, having in her hand a golden cup full of the abominations of the filthiness of her fornication. While the bride of Christ is wearing a gown arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. We also see with her in the city the adornment of gold and precious stones and pearls. So what is the future then of Babylon? But she becomes the dwelling place of demons and comes under the judgment of God where she will not be found anymore and is eaten under the supper of the great God by the birds of heaven. What is the future of the new Jerusalem? But she becomes the dwelling place of God, the dwelling place of God with man who has been freed from all sin, where she will be found forevermore and will eat at the marriage supper of the Lamb. So I ask, which one is your home? Babylon or Jerusalem? See, if you are living in rebellion against God and seeking the pleasures of this world, You'll be judged by God for your sin and condemned to destruction in hell. So flee the wrath of God while there is time. Forsake the abominations and filthiness of Babylon by turning away from your sin and repentance and by trusting God who in love takes the very punishment you deserve for your sins upon himself as he dies on the cross so you will be his bride I'll come to Christ come to Christ so that you be one with the bride living in God's presence forevermore You know, it's also helpful for, for those of us who, who do see Jerusalem as our home to ask ourselves, are we living faithfully as a bride waiting for the wedding day that is coming for us? Or are we those who give in to the harlot's temptations in this world? Because Christ, listen, he is a loving husband is ready to forgive us. May we then live lives of repentance of our sin as we run to Christ and receive his forgiveness and cleansing through his blood. And may his love then continue to work in us, purifying us until the day 
when, you're, when we are wed with him and he welcomes us into our eternal home. This is the first picture then that is given to us of the beauty of Christ's bride. But then secondly, in verses 22 to 27, we come to the second picture here of the greatness of God's glory. And in these verses, there is a series of contrasts between what is present in this world and what will not be present in the world to come. And after revealing what will not be present four times, John records an explanation of why these things will not be found in our eternal home. So what's the first thing that will not be in our eternal home? Well, there will not be a temple. See, unlike the capital city of Jerusalem in Israel, the new Jerusalem has no temple in it. Why? Because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple, since God's glory fills the city. So the type and shadow of God's presence among his people in this world have given way to the reality of God's presence with us in the world to come. And we will have immediate and direct access to God as we live with him in our eternal home. So there will be no temple in the city. There will also not be sun or moon it says. There's no need for the sun or moon to shine in a city since God's glory illuminates it and the Lamb is its light. Now Isaiah chapter 60 lies behind this verse where the sun and the moon no longer give light because the Lord will be an everlasting light and He will give or He will be our glory. This is why uh, this whole idea of light becomes a major theme developed throughout the New Testament. What, What does Jesus say of himself in John 8, verse 12? I am the light of the world. And then John goes on to write in his first letter that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. And so we walk in the light as he is in the light until Christ's light shines forever for us. So listen to how this fulfills Isaiah chapter 60, which prophesies when the Lord's glory will shine and draw the Gentiles into his light. Isaiah 60, uh, beginning with verse 1, Arise, shine, for your light has come. And the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth, and deep darkness the people. But the Lord will arise over you, and his glory will be seen upon you. The Gentiles shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. Lift up your eyes all around and see. They all gather together. They come to you. Your son shall come from afar and your daughter shall be nursed at your side. Then you shall see and become radiant and your heart shall swell with joy because the abundance of the sea shall be turned to you. The wealth of the Gentiles shall come to you. And then we go down to verse 11. 
and read, Therefore your gates shall be open continually. They shall not be shut day or night, that men may bring to you the wealth of the Gentiles and their kings in procession. And all of this comes true in our eternal home. As we see in Revelation 21, that the nations of those who are saved shall walk in the city's light. Which emphasizes the global nature of those who are saved by Christ's grace and who will live eternally with God. That we are made up of all the nations of the world. And this has been a consistent theme throughout Revelation, hasn't it? I mean, Christ the Lamb has redeemed us to God by His blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation, which then make up a great multitude in this, uh, a great multitude which no one can number. As we stand before God's throne and before the Lamb. And while the, the, the nations may be deceived by Satan and unite together in his war against Christ's church in this age, through the rise of the Antichrist and the false prophet, God has chosen to save a people out of the nations to enter his kingdom and enjoy his eternal presence. Which is why we as Christ's church now are given a preview of this as the people of God with different ethnic groups being saved and uniting together as equals under the cross. Which is why all forms of racism or ethnic superiority is, is not from Christ, but comes from Satan, who is the father of lies. So we have those saved from the nations coming into the city with John then seeing the kings of the earth bringing their glory and honor into it. Now what a change has taken place. If, if, if you look at where the kings of the earth are mentioned in Revelation, we find the kings of the earth aligning themselves with the Antichrist. The kings of the earth oh, committing fornication, living in luxury with the harlot Babylon. The kings of the earth gathering their armies to make war against Christ in the battle of Armageddon. But here, the kings of the earth bring their glory and honor into God's presence. Because God will reign supreme as our sovereign king over all the powers of the earth who now submit to him and worship him. And so there's no temple, there's no sun or moon, and the third contrast in the city is that its gates shall be, not be shut. They'll not be shut at all by day. Now, a city's gates are what kept a city safe from its enemies who would attack the city and seek to come inside. But there's no opposition remaining to threaten God's people, to threaten us in our eternal home, and so everyone is welcome to come in. And there shall be no night there. See, darkness is when wickedness in this world has the cover of night, which is when thieves come in to rob and to steal. Which is why darkness symbolizes spiritual evil in this world. 
But when we live in God's presence with Christ as our light, there will, need, there will not be any darkness or danger among us ever again. And so with the gates wide open and the daylight never ending, the nations also bring their glory and honor into God's presence to worship Him. That's why our eternal home is a place where we will glorify and honor God for all eternity in worship. So here we are given a preview of our living in God's glory. That's why in the fourth contrast then, we see the very presence of sin itself will be forever absent. And nothing that defiles and no one that, come, that, that, that causes an abomination or a lie can enter our eternal home. Because only for those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. The elect of God from eternity past, whom Christ has saved to be reconciled with God and to dwell with God. And so anyone outside of Christ, or those who will remain outside of God's presence, in the eternal torment the lake of fire. Do you see then why God gives us this preview of our eternal home? So that we will cherish our eternal home dwelling with God. Oh, let us cherish our eternal home dwelling with God so that we will preserve in our faithfulness to Him as we struggle and suffer in this world. Because our our eternal home is so beautiful and so glorious that our minds cannot fully comprehend it. Which is why God, in giving us this preview, uses symbols and imagery to to, to help us wrap our minds around the unfathomable magnificence of living in His presence. So brothers and sisters, don't allow your heart and your mind to be consumed with what this world offers, but to cherish your eternal home dwelling with God. Meditate on these inspired pictures that he reveals to you so that you will find your satisfaction and joy in his presence. You know, my wife many years ago uh, liked looking at, at, at the magazines and the ads for, for these beautiful homes that she would find. But as she dwelled on the pictures and she thought about having the things that were in these magazines and these ads, she, she recognized that she was yearning for them, that she was coveting them, and that this wasn't healthy for her, which is why she stopped. 
She stopped looking at the beautiful homes. She stopped looking at all of the ads. May we be those who don't stop looking at these pictures, but meditate on them so that we too will yearn for this home, our eternal home, in the midst of our lives in this world. So let me share just a couple of ways that hopefully we can put this more into practice. Speaking first to those of us who are parents here this morning, we need to prioritize the eternal over the earthly with our children. We need to keep before them the beauty and the glory of dwelling with God in the world to come. So this this is more important for our children than their college and their career path. This is more important for our children than their safety and their security. This is more important for our children than their family and their friends. So we we teach our children that salvation is freely given through Christ's grace. And this means sacrificing the comforts of this world and suffering through the afflictions of this world until He returns. Christ returns to welcome us in our eternal home. But children, let me also speak to you for just a few moments. Because your lives are filled with commercials and ads that tempt you to desire the newest toys, to wear the latest clothes and shoes, to play the hottest games, to watch the popular videos, and to have the newest technology. But don't let these distract you from the gospel of Jesus Christ and the glories you will enjoy with Him forever. When you believe in Him and trust in Him. I know it may be hard for you to wait for something that seems so far away. But God gives us Scripture to remind us of how much better trusting in Christ and waiting for His promises are than the passing pleasures of this world. So may we be those who even now at at your young age are, are learning of Christ through reading and studying the scriptures of hearing the word of God preached at church. Well, may you be those who devote yourselves to seeing Christ as you read the scriptures and finding in Christ the very joy of your soul. The truth is, when we consider our dreams in this life and our dream homes in this world, we may or may not ever reach those dreams. We may or may not ever have those things. But in Christ, you will live in your eternal home in the world to come.
So may we all desire this eternal home dwelling with God over whatever temporary housing we may dwell in in this world. Because we will dwell with a God in our eternal home. So let us pray. Oh, Father, preaching your word cannot possibly begin to, 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 to speak of the beauty and the glory of our eternal home. But may these words this morning give us more and more a taste that will yearn for an eternal life in your presence. Oh Lord, may this eternal home then lead us to live as pilgrims in this world who will not love this world or the things of this world because they will pass away. And who will not store up treasures on this earth, but treasures in heaven. Because, Father, we will enjoy them with you for all eternity. When we are married to Christ and become his bride. So we pray for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.